We are, have been doing a series of teachings on the importance of vision, spiritual vision. Uh, three weeks ago, I spoke to you about the danger of having tunnel vision. What happens in tunnel vision is during a moment of crisis, a moment of panic, a moment of tension, or a moment of great temptation in your life, people tend to focus quickly just on the one thing in front of them. And as a result, they become tunnel vision and they lose sight of their greater values, their greater beliefs, what they're really all about. And oftentimes, people will act in ways uh, that are even against their own fundamental interests and it becomes very destructive. People who struggle, for example, with alcoholism or drugs or whatever it might be, suffer fundamentally from tunnel vision. You can ask them, gee, do you believe you should be doing what you're doing? And they'll say, no, I don't believe I should be doing it. I know it's wrong. I don't want to do it. I'm struggling with it. And fundamentally, even though they have a greater value system that's here, they get caught in the moment, they become myopic, and they focus just on the moment at hand, and uh, it defeats them. Two weeks ago, I talked about the need to uh, keep our vision clear so that we can see what God is doing in our lives. I read to you the story of Elisha the prophet, how a big army had come against Elijah and um, the servant was freaking out. He looks out the window in the morning and here's this enemy army encamped around them. He panics. Oh my goodness, this is awful. This is awful. This is awful. What are we going to do? And they became all, he became all freaked out. Elijah stayed calm as a cucumber. And the servant said, hey, can't you see what we're facing here? And Elijah looked at him and he prayed. He says, Lord, open the boy's eyes. And when God opened his eyes, he was able to see a huge spiritual army around Elijah, dwarfing the army that had come against them. And they prevailed. It's important to be able to see what God is doing. Don't let the threat of whatever in your life cause you to all of a sudden assume God is not there. And then last week we took it up to the final notch, the big notch. You see, it's one thing to struggle with tunnel vision. It's another thing to fail to be able to see what God is doing in and around your life. But we took it up to the the highest level last week when we talked about the ability to see something that is not there. It's called faith. Now, I shared with you that there are three things that can hinder faith in your life. I only gave you two of them, and I promised I'd give you the third one today, and I will. Uh, in uh, looking back, in summary, the three things, first of all, we talked about fear. Fear will kill faith in your life. We read the story about Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. No, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yeah, that's right. And uh, these three young Jewish men who were taken into captivity with the whole nation into Babylon. There's King Nebuchadnezzar. They were in a strange place among strange people. Uh, they had no control of, over that. They were basically slaves. And this king Nebuchadnezzar who was just full of himself and just loved himself built this big statue of himself 
and had commanded that something like two, three times a day, whenever the musicians would play, everybody had to bow down and worship the statue. Well, the three young Jewish men refused to bow because God had said, thou shalt not have any other gods before me. They knew better. Well, this infuriated the king. And he took these three guys and warned them and said, listen, if you don't bow down, I will throw you alive into this fiery furnace. And I love the response of the three guys that said, look, king, we don't have to defend ourselves. Our hope and our trust is in God. He will deliver us from your hand. But even if he does not, we will not bend. We will not bow. We will not be afraid. And I shared with you the importance of being able to shut fear off because if fear stays, you can't have faith. You can't experience the divine, the miraculous in your life. And the way these three men shut off fear is they looked at the worst case scenario and said, I don't care. Even if God does nothing and we fry like french fries, I do not care. We will not bend. We will not bow. We will not be afraid. And, of course, the miracle of how God delivered them from that is quite, quite impressive. You have to be able to shut fear off in your life. Say, so how do you do that, Pastor? How do you, do? you look at whatever you're afraid of, and you stare it in your face, and you say, I don't care. As long as you're afraid of what might happen, you'll be a victim. You'll be at its mercy, and it'll rob you of the divine in your life. Whether you're afraid you might lose your job, or you might be afraid of something uh, the doctor said you might have a lump that could be something and you're terrible. You have to be able to look at the worst case scenario and make peace with it. You've got to shut it off. People, what's the worst thing that can happen to you? You die, you go to heaven. Shut it up. You've got to shut it up. You've got to be able to look at it and say, I'm okay. No matter what happens, I will not bend. I will not bow. I will not be afraid because fear will shut off faith in your life. Then we talk about the second one. The second one was anger. Anger. I'm so mad. That will shut faith off in your life. We read from the Old Testament in Numbers, the 20th chapter. I want to read it to you again this morning. The children of Israel traveling through the desert on the way to the promised land. God had done incredible things. Let my people go. God had just showed them, did all these miracles and opened the sea and just manna from heaven was falling. They were in a constant state of experiencing the divine. Quite frankly, at a level you and I can't even begin to imagine. These people saw things that, I mean, nothing we see begins to even come close to what these people saw. So they're going along and it says, now there was no water for the community. And the people gathered in opposition against these two guys, Moses and Aaron. And they quarreled with Moses and said, Oh, if only we died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community? You led the Lord's community to this bad place. Right here in the desert. Why did you do this that our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place that has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink? Now, it's easy for us to sit back and criticize these people. Certainly for me, I think, well, come on, you guys, you've been seeing miracles that we'd pay big money to see. 
routinely God was doing the incredible. Now you're freaking out. But in all fairness to them, they were in the desert. They are following a man into a place they had never been before. And now there is no water. Imagine your babies crying because they're thirsty. Imagine your parched lips because you're thirsty. Your livestock is stressed because of lack of moisture. And you look around and there is no water. You can do the math. They may not have been the smartest people in the world, but they could do the math. We are doomed. You have brought us to a place of great distress. And when people experience discomfort, when they experience distress, they often get mad. They just get angry. And they lash out. And they lashed out at Moses. Well, God shows up and he does this incredible miracle. The Bible says, out of a rock, out of the rock, all of a sudden water just poured out. And they were all relieved. But before that, here they were yelling and screaming at Moses. And Moses made a big mistake. He allowed it to make him mad. And he got mad right back at him. And in fact, God had told him, just speak to the rock. But he was so mad, he went over and hit the rock because he's so mad at these people. And that one act caused a situation where God said, okay, you cannot enter the promised land. Do you know Moses never got into the promised land? Absolutely amazing. His whole life was about getting to the promised land. His whole experience was about letting my people go and I will lead you to a place flowing with milk and honey. This incredible blessing that God is going to do for this nation. His whole life was about this one event. And the Bible says he got up and at the border of the land, he looked out and God let him see what he was going to miss. And he didn't get to go in. Why? Because he let anger poison him. And they warned about how anger will hold faith back in your life. Now, I warned you, talked to you about, and have been telling you about for weeks that we were about to enter a period of adjustment uh, here at Celebration Church that was going to cause some pain. This was not a surprise. We knew this was coming. I exhorted you that when you hear people getting angry and upset, not if they would, but when they would, I believe is what I stressed last week, be in there with them. Encourage them. Remind them of where God has brought us. This, nothing is a surprise to God. I'm pretty sure God knew what we were facing months ago. Probably millions of years ago. But that's God. He sees these things. It's not like all of a sudden he went, oh, myself, look at this. <laughs> you guys see this? I didn't see this coming. I don't. Now this week we've taken steps to bring our budget into line. And make no mistake, folks, we have to be fiscally responsible. We are not the government. Amen. We cannot just be spending monkey money like a bunch of drunken monkeys and charging it to our grandchildren. Okay? We have to be responsible, and I have a pretty good guess that those of you who work hard and give money to this church, you want us to be fiscally responsible. 
the end of the day as we looked at it, we thought, you know, to get us safely back on track because of the economy and people being affected, and so many of you have been, uh, we're looking at about a 15 to 20% cut in our budget, which when you do the math, when you go over all the campuses that we have, we're a big church, do lots of things, a 20% adjustment is $500,000. It's a half a million dollars. It's a big deal. I mean, it's, it's not, you know, some people are saying, well, well, can't we just do some other cuts? You know, I mean, it's not like we can just get, you know, less soft toilet paper. <laughs> you know, bring your own. You know, I mean, it's not... <laughs> It's, just, it's not going to help. We don't make things. We don't build things. We have two expenses, folks. Bottom line. Every church has two expenses. A building and the people that work there. That's pretty much it. You can make little adjustments, and we are making them everywhere, but it doesn't come close to $500,000. You have to adjust on the buildings. You have to adjust on the people. Now, every campus is being affected. Stevens Point is in the process of finalizing their cuts. Uh, they're happy this morning because they haven't heard them yet. So, um. <laughs> uh, The cafe, a lot of you who've been part of the cafe down on the other end, uh, we decided we're going to close the cafe for a while. Um, it's, uh, we, we moved there to make more room here. As you can see, we're pretty full this morning. Um, we want room here so that new people can come, but there's the extra expense of running that and the extra worship people and the personnel and stuff. And, it, you know, we just, we have to cut back for a while. Uh, the west side is experiencing some changes, some personnel changes, and in an order to adapt to those changes, we're changing the service time on the west side uh, as of the first of the year to 9.30. In a way, it'd be kind of neat because now you'll have three time options at Celebration Church here in Green Bay. You can go to church at 8.30 worship service here. You can go to a 9.30 worship service over there. Or you can come to the 10.30 worship service over here. The nice thing about it is it allows us to rotate our worship personnel. See, because they can lead worship here. And then run their butts over there. And lead worship over there. And get their butts back over here to lead worship here again at 10.30. Which means a lot of running around for them. But it's fine. We'll just get our dollars worth out of them. As we run them around. Uh, and then ultimately, it comes down to personnel cuts. Now, people might be wondering, well, why? Why a particular personnel cut? Or why a particular change? Or why did you do this? I really like the cafe. Why, 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 why? Well, there's really only one reason why. The budget. Everybody say, the budget. The budget. That's one overwhelming reason. That's why. Now, when you get past that to what exactly was the final straw on this decision, then we're talking about micro reasons. There's all kinds of little itty-bitty micro reasons. And for weeks, Pastor Lathan and I have been going through this exercise. It's like taking tweezers and measuring grains of sand. I think that, that grain's a little fatter than that grain. No, oh, I don't know. Maybe it's this good. Then we've gone through three or four different versions of this as we have struggled with this, and, there, and finally, based on the micro, then you finally make a decision. If you find or hear of a micro reason, you're probably going to get mad. Because you think, well, that was stupid. I agree. They're all stupid reasons at this point. When you get to the micro reasons, you say, well, I disagree with that reason, or I wouldn't have done it. Okay. 
But that wasn't the reason. The reason was the budget. If it weren't for the budget, I wouldn't make a single change, not a one. I like what we do. I like the people who do it. Everything we've done has been intentionally and for a reason and for a purpose. But we have to be fiscally responsible. So we have to make changes. Just be careful not to let anger block your faith. And by the way, if you are mad or upset about something, talk to me. The Bible says, teaches us very clearly, if you have a problem with somebody, you go talk to them. You do not send them a letter. It's not like they didn't have letters back then. They had letters. It was always an option. In fact, the New Testament pretty much consists of nothing but letters. They knew how to write. They knew how to get a letter from one place to another. Jesus didn't say, if you got a problem with somebody, send them a letter. It says you talk to them. And for the love of heaven, be nice. Just be nice. We have to be nice to each other. Is this a shock to anybody? You got to be nice. Look, people, the worst scenario could actually happen. The perfect storm could actually become realized. You and I could live next to each other in heaven. <laughs> and how weird will that be if we're mad at each other? You'll have those awkward barbecue moments in the backyard. Your angel dog could poop in my yard. You know, dude, 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 the dog. Come on, people, you have to understand something for better or for worse. We are all eternally tethered to one another. That'll give some of you nightmares. We're stuck with each other forever. You think marriage is tough. At least there, somebody dies and you move on. <laughs> There's no out with this deal. Be nice for the love of God. Just be nice. I just, I've been stunned. It's only been a handful of people, but stunned over the last few days because someone has heard about a change or something and has sent me a blistering, email saying I don't believe in you you're not my pastor I'll never go to that church again ow one guy got so mad on his Facebook he put Mark Gunger can kiss my and he didn't say cheek <laughs> although technically it could have been a cheek but uh, you, know, you know what I'm saying <laughs> Kind of your version of what a cheek is. You know what I'm saying? Wow! Because of some budget cuts? And, and these were some people who hugged me last week, threw their arms around me and said, I love you, Pastor Mark. Apparently not very much. That's all it takes? That I love you for right now I love you as long as you don't do something I, I, I don't like 
look, I can handle you not liking decisions that I make. You can come up to me and say, Pastor Mark, I disagree with every single decision you've made over the last week. But I still love your face. <laughs> that I can handle. This is tough. It's tough for everybody. But, but at what point do we get to cash in our Christianity and say, I can be mean and nasty. I mean, if their goal is to hurt and to wound, mission accomplished. You know, if that's what they want to do. But is that really what this is about? You know, if anything else, I, I told my wife, I said, man, I, I just need to preach this better. Because I have, you've heard me over and over again say, listen, real church is about people who love each other no matter what. We don't all have to think the same. We don't all have to look the same. We don't all have to make the same amount of money. We don't have to be the same color. We can absolutely disagree with each other. But at the end of the day, we love each other. And that's what real church is about. That's what the world is waiting to see. They're not impressed about a small group of people who all think the same about everything. So what? They got their buddies at the bar. They do the same thing. They all hang at their different bars. And I don't go to that other bar because we don't like those jerks. I like these jerks better. I mean, even, even people who don't go to church can pull that off. What's amazing is when you can get people together who don't think, act, look, process everything the same. But they stand hand in hand and say, you know, because of our love in Christ, we love each other. Let's walk that out. So number one, fear will block faith. Number two, anger will definitely block faith. And then finally, as promised, number three, unbelief will block faith. I want to read to you from the Christmas story as recorded by Matthew in his gospel. He writes, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, these were the wise guys, the wise, not wise guys, they're like mafia, the wise men. <laughs> the three wise guys from Jersey came over. Where's the baby? Where's the baby? <laughs> Sorry, I'm making stuff up this morning. It's a Magi, wise men, not wise guys came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east. We've come to worship him. When King Herod heard about this, he was disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. Now check it out. Herod heard about this? And all of Jerusalem heard about this. They all heard the news that the Christ child had been born. Did they rush? To see him? Were they excited about this? Was this fabulous? They've been waiting for thousands of years for the Messiah. And they're hearing the Christ child has been born. These were the magi, the, 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 the wise men. They've already heard from shepherds and everybody else who were there. They had all heard this. And their response was they were disturbed. Very inconvenient. I can't go see this Christ child. I got to. 
take my goldfish for a walk this weekend. You know, I, I got things to do. I got my hair, you know, I got stuff to do. Here they heard the news and they were disturbed by it. Herod then calls together all the chief priests and the teachers of the law. He asked them, where is the Christ to be born? And they all knew it. They knew it. Now, and I don't know if you knew it. I didn't know it until I read the Bible. But, the, you know, the Bible says the whole time that the Christ child will be born in Bethlehem. They knew where it was going to be. So they tell them, well, it says in Bethlehem of Judea. For it is written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. This would be the Messiah. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Well, you go, make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find them, let me know. I want to go check it out. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Here's the amazing thing. Herod knew Jesus was the Christ. And he knew where he was. The religious leaders of the day knew the Messiah had come. And they knew where he was. But none of them could be bothered. You see, unbelief is a decision. When you intentionally choose to not believe. Think of all the miracles that... Yeah, I know, I feel the same way. Think of, he should have had my week. Uh, think of all the miracles that Jesus performed and that, that the people saw. I mean, can you, wouldn't you think, wouldn't you love to have been there to see some of this stuff? But yet they didn't believe him because they intentionally chose, I will not believe that garbage. And the greatest miracle that Jesus did, the most impressive miracle, he did some incredible things, but the greatest one is when he raised Lazarus from the dead. And the reason is, is because he had raised a lot of people from the dead, but you can kind of write it off. Oh, man, you know, maybe they weren't sick. Maybe they just passed out. Who knows? I've had people tell me, you know, they've been in a situation where somebody fell down. They said, Pastor, he fell down dead, and I went and prayed for him, and he came back to life. I got to tell you, I'm thinking, that guy probably just had a you know, sugar drop. You know, who knows? But when you've been dead for three days, you're pretty much dead. And when it came to Lazarus, Jesus intentionally waited. You see, sometimes God will lead you to a place where there is no water. Sometimes God will delay and you get sick and you're dead for three days before he shows up. Boy, it sure sounds like he's late. You know, it's bad enough if you're sick. When you're dead, you're late. Three days. Jesus finally shows up and he said, remove the stone. Everybody said, dude. It reeks in there. He said, remove the stone. And he calls out, Lazarus, come forth. And this man who'd been in the grave for three days hopped out. Whoa. 
Now, you would have thought that would have really impressed the people who still did not believe. I mean, seriously, I may not think you're very spiritual. But if we're at a funeral and you come up and pray and the guy sits up, I'm impressed. <laughs> you, know, you know, we're doing dinner, you know what I'm saying? I want to I hang out. But these guys saw it, and the Bible says when they saw that miracle, that's when they plotted to kill him. Why? Because unbelief is a choice, and it kills faith. As I said at the beginning of this series, I believe faith comes naturally to people. People think faith is hard. I disagree. We are made in the image of God and in a normal, healthy state. Faith is normal to everybody. That's why people dream. You know what dreaming is? It's seeing something that is not there. It's called faith. It's why we set goals for ourselves that are not there, but we're driven forward. Why? Because somehow we can see something that's not there. It's called faith. It's why people reach for the unreachable. It's why athletes strive to do what no one has ever done before. Why? Because something in them says they can do it. It's called faith. It's why we put a man on the moon. Who thought of that? Who thought, you know, I'd like to walk around up there. And they pulled it off. It's called faith. It's normal for you to have faith. It's natural for you to have faith. It's your healthy state to absolutely be filled with faith this morning. But not if you shut it off with fear, with anger, or you make the decision, I just will not believe that. I'm going to invite our ushers to come forward at the different campuses, get ready to serve communion this morning. Our musicians can come back. Look, this is really about a choice. Faith is not hard. It's rather simple. But you have to make a decision to quiet the fear, to calm the anger, and to intentionally say, I will not dismiss this. I choose to believe. Where are you at this morning in your life? Maybe you're here for the first time. I don't know, maybe you've been coming for years, but you've never truly decided to shut the fear, the anger, and the unbelief in your life. And maybe this morning, maybe today, you're finally at a place where you can say, you know what? I want to be healthy. I want to be whole. I want to be the way God created me to be. I want to walk in faith. Because faith allows me to see something that just is not there. But yet faith makes it real. And it becomes real. Have you truly surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? Or are you like so many who just say, not going to believe it. Not going to believe it. Sometimes we think, gee, people could see a great miracle that would change their minds. You know, it doesn't. It doesn't. They could see, they could see Jesus raise somebody from the dead who's been in there for three days. Won't make any difference. They could be the children of Israel who saw God split the Red Sea and they walked across it and give them manna every morning from heaven to eat. And they wouldn't believe. It's not about that. It's the determination. You know what? I'm 
I'm going to believe. I'm going to invite everybody to bow your heads in a word of prayer with me as we get ready to serve communion this morning. And I'm going to invite you all to pray this prayer with me. And if you'll really open up your heart, you can experience God's grace and forgiveness in your life today. Let's pray. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. That you loved me so much, you went to the cross and you took my punishment. I ask you to come into my life and to forgive me of my sins. I surrender myself to you. Amen.